started last week talking about uh, Christmas, just in a, in a Christmas series. I kind of always like to take two or three weeks to prepare our hearts for Christmas, and uh, I talked a little bit about this to you when we first started, that I do think it's important to prepare your heart for Christmas and not just, not just kind of be on cruise control, because if, if you're not, the way Christmas is in our, in our country, which, and I love Christmas so much, but the way it is in our culture, it's real easy to get caught up in so many things, and before you know it, it's over. The New Year's has already started, and you just missed the whole point. You just, you just flew through it. You ate all the food. You opened all the gifts. You put on the pounds, you know, and then it's over, and you go, man, where was, where was Jesus in the whole thing? Where was the, the, that time of refreshing and, and that connection with God that should, should be a big part of what this time of year is about? And I want to talk to you a, a little about an aspect of Christmas that's kind of always intrigued me, and it's... It's intriguing me a little bit more every year just because of the direction that our nation is going. And, and that is, how many people in our country celebrate Christmas but yet don't celebrate Jesus? Like, in other words, they, they love what Christmas is. They love, and you talk to them and it's just such a warm, fuzzy feeling. And they talk about, well, the lights and the weather and the songs and the presents and the food. And they, they talk about all of it. But it's like they're missing the point of what Christmas is really about. And this has always intrigued me because I, I like to understand humans and I like to understand why are you celebrating? What, what is it then that you're celebrating this, uh, this time and this season? Because to me, personally, this holiday is so much more significant than all of those things. I love those things. I look forward to those things. But they're in honor of God. It's a way to honor God. It's a way to remind me of Jesus, the Messiah that was born. But it seems like for a lot of people, they've just conveniently cut out that whole part of Christmas. And so Christmas is 100%. Now, it's not in the church world, hopefully. But in our nation and really in the world, you have a huge amount of people that are, that are celebrating Christmas and don't even follow Christ. Don't even own about, wouldn't even call themselves a Christian, and they're celebrating Christmas. Now, just to give you the, the facts of that, just so you know I'm not making that up, we can kind of dial it in and find out exactly what I'm talking about. There have been so many, every year actually, there are studies <clears throat> done on this, research done on this, and it's always between 93 and 96% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Now, you just about can't get 96% of Americans to do anything other than, like, drink water and breathe. There's, like, nothing else that we all do. And 96% of Americans celebrate Christmas. It's, a, it's near universal observance of Christmas. And it's across all gender, age, education, income, subgroups, more than 9 in 10 Americans say that they celebrate the holiday, and it's also a unifying event for Republicans and Democrats. Now, go figure that one out. But at Christmas, okay, this, this is what Christmas is. The only group in America that's less likely to celebrate Christmas are those that say religion is not important to them at all. But even among this group, it's still observed by 85%. Isn't that something? But now only half of the 
<clears throat> only half of those who celebrate do so as a religious holiday, the other half as a cultural holiday. Now, to be fair, this is sort of how a lot of us celebrate Halloween, right? I don't think we have any Satanists in here, any, you know, Wiccan people in here, you know. And I'm not saying I'm for or against that, but I'm saying if you're like one of those people that really, really, really celebrate Halloween, I doubt you're a Satan worshiper. I don't think you would be here this morning if you were. But Halloween, like the real roots of what Halloween is, there's like the cultural way that people celebrate it. And then there might be a few of those people that this is their holiday, like this is their Christmas. Halloween is their Christmas. You know, they, they truly are like into witchcraft and, and those, those kinds of things. Um, so I'm not a big Halloween celebrator to begin with, but uh, it's kind of a huge part of our culture. And I think there are a lot of culture, a lot of people in our culture that they celebrate Halloween, but, but they don't actually observe what it's really about. And that's, a, that's the way that a lot of people more and more are celebrating Christmas. They're not followers of Christ, but they love the benefits and the feeling and the warmth and the, the connectivity that comes with Christmas. Now, the reason that this is so important to me um, is because the number is, the number is shifting. Like there are more, even though everyone still celebrates Christmas, the number of people that actually are celebrating it because of Christ and, and they're keeping Christ at the center, that number is dropping every year. And it just bothers me. You know, and, and maybe uh, it doesn't bother you, but it, it bothers me because of how much I love the Lord and how much I love this is my life. And when I see people celebrate, but they want to cut out the most important reason, it just bothers me. It'd be kind of like, see, I turned 40 last year, and it'd be like if y'all threw me a big 40th birthday party, which y'all didn't, but don't worry about it. But if, if y'all did <laughs> throw me a big 40th birthday party and... You know, you're, you see somebody there, and you're like, oh, you're here. Oh, man, that's cool. You're here. So how long have you known, how long have you known Josh? And like, oh, I don't know Josh. Like, what? Yeah, I don't know anything about it. What? Really? That's weird. This is his birthday party. What are you here for? Oh, I'm just here for the food. I'm here for the dancing. I, I'm here for the, just the party, man. That, that's why I'm here. I don't know anything about him. That's exactly how a lot of people are celebrating Christmas. Don't know Jesus. Don't want to know Jesus. Don't know anything about Jesus. But, man, isn't this fun? Isn't this a fun holiday where we exchange gifts and we eat food and we talk and we sing? It's so fun, but, I, but we want to remove Jesus out of it. Why does it bother me? Because this, is, this seems to be everything that we're doing in our culture. It's like the nation was founded on God. And he was in everything. He was in education. He was in politics. He was in family. He, and systematically, he's been carved out, cut out of every single thing. And we're paying the price for it, and yet we still just keep cutting him out of, of everything. But yet we want all the blessing. Make no mistake about it. People love the, the benefits that come from following God, the, the, the benefits that come from our morality that we find in the laws of God, the, the peace, right, the forgiveness. They love all of that, but they just don't love God. And they just don't love Jesus, but they like, they like the benefits of it. And this has been, to be honest with you, this has been the problem from the very beginning. This has been the issue. I want to read to you out of John chapter 12, verse 1, because I, I do think even in the Christian world, we can have people 
that want the benefits of serving God, but they don't really want to serve God, if that makes sense. Like, I really like, I really like the forgiveness aspect. I like the idea that I'm saved and not going to hell. That's a big one. Really glad I'm not going to hell. I like the morality aspects of it. I like the things Jesus taught, you know. But I really don't want to have to, like, serve God. I don't want to be, like, submitted to him in every aspect. I just want to, like, pick and choose like a buffet. You know, I pick and choose certain things that I like and the others I discard. Well, the, the, the Bible, the, the relationship that we have with God, it's not a buffet where you pick and choose. It's either you, you take the whole package or you take none of it. That's, that's how it's designed. That's what lordship is. Lord, having Jesus Christ as your Lord, as we love to say so often. But again, this was always the issue. In John chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, that's something everybody can get behind, right? Power that brings people back from the dead. That's something everybody can get behind. That is something people are interested in. Laying down your life, carrying your own cross, no, not, not so much. But power that can raise people from the dead, that's something everybody could get behind. That's a unifying thing. So, that naturally, that's what happens in John chapter 12. Jesus raises a man from the dead, and it spreads like wildfire, and all of a sudden, crowds are showing up everywhere. Now, this is something you're going to notice in Jesus' ministry. The crowds were fickle. The crowds were up. They were down. They were thousands. They were few. Depending on what he said, depending on what he did, depending on, on how he responded to them, they, you could have thousands and it could dwindle just as fast. Why? Because they weren't really following Jesus. They weren't really there for Jesus as the person. They were there for something else that was connected to him. His power, his love, his miracles, they, they were connected to him for something else. Let me just ask you this real quick. Have you ever felt like that? Like, maybe some of you identify with that. I know I've talked to many people in my lifetime that are like, I, I feel like the only reason people care about me is for what I can do for them. Maybe you felt like that, you know, in your more feeling sorry for yourself moments. You know, you kind of take an inventory like, man, I've, I'm starting to realize they only call me when they need something. Maybe you felt like that. And I'm not even saying Jesus felt like that. I'm kind of feeling like that for him, if that matters. I don't, he didn't complain about it too much. But I'm just looking at this going, as I watch it and read it and I see it in our culture today, there seems to be a lot of people that actually don't love God. They actually don't love Jesus. They just like the feelings and other things that are connected around it. So this is what happens here. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Again, something everybody can get behind. Power that can raise a man from the dead. We want more of that. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, notice what it says. They came. The large crowd came. Not only on account of him, okay, not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus. It was like a sideshow. They weren't there for Jesus. They were there because a man had been Raised from the dead. In part, you can't really blame them. I mean, who wouldn't show up to see that? So, <clears throat> they came not only on account of him, <clears throat> but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So, the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. <laughs> Man, this, this is funny. 
the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death. I mean, was he not thinking Jesus might just raise him from the dead again? I mean, you kill Lazarus, Jesus just raised him from the dead. Verse 11, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This is such a kind of a, a humorous thing because this is how far off the chief priests had gotten. They hated Jesus so much that they were going to kill the man he had just raised from the dead because people were starting to flock to Jesus. But what they didn't realize is you really didn't have to kill Lazarus. You, you really don't have to kill Lazarus to get people to stop flocking to Jesus. Because that's, they weren't following Jesus because of who he was. They were just there for the miracles. And if the miracles dry up, I'm no longer a follower. And that's what we're going to see happen. If... If all the benefits dry up, then I'm not really there anymore. I'm not really connected to him. Or if you say something that I don't agree with or you say something that I don't like or you say something I don't believe, I'm out. Now, the irony of it is he could not raise someone from the dead if he wasn't God. And yet you're judging him. You are, you're critiquing him, his statements and, his, and the things that he's teaching but yet he couldn't have raised someone from the dead if he wasn't God. But that didn't matter to them. And I don't know if this is the human condition. I don't know if this is just, you know, part of our problem as humans that we are so blind or maybe we're so arrogant to our own selves and we, we, ha- we put ourselves on such a pedestal that they thought that they could critique what Jesus was doing and saying even though he was God. I mean, I don't know. Where you get that mindset from. All right, so he's got a large crowd. They've came because he raised Lazarus from the dead. They're very impressed. Verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So this is Palm Sunday that we celebrate, the Sunday before Easter, where Jesus was crucified. So the, the week before this, this happens, what we call Palm Sunday, where he comes into Jerusalem. He's riding on a colt, riding on a, on a donkey, and they, they lay out palm branches, and they begin to cry out, Hosanna, 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 you know, King of, the, king of Israel, king of the Jews, you know, glory to the king of the Jews, etc., things like, things like that. This crowd, remember, this is what it says, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So the crowd began with what happened with Lazarus. They see him raise a man from the dead. The crowd has grown. Now they're so, they, they, they see the power of the man. They think, man, this is exciting. Jesus is coming in Jerusalem. They begin to lay down the palm branches. They're worshiping him as the Messiah. Now, Everyone may not be completely familiar with what's going on here. What is going on here is that the Old Testament prophesied from, for thousands of years that there would be a Messiah. There would, and, the, and Messiah just really meant conqueror. It, it, there would be a person from the line of David that would sit on the throne again. Remember, Israel's been decimated. They've been dominated by the Romans. They have been enslaved. They have been put in subjection. And they are looking for a man who will come as a conqueror, who will lead them in war, who will lead them 
out of bondage and the nation of Israel will be established again and this person will sit on the throne as king and they will rule Israel forever. That's, that is what they're looking for. The way Jesus came as Messiah, no one was looking for that. No one was looking for that. And it's partly justified. When you read the Old Testament scriptures and all the prophecies about the Messiah, pretty much, if, if you don't have the hindsight of history to look back and see who Jesus was, no one was expecting a Messiah like that. Even John the Baptist had problems with it, if you remember. After John had prophesied about Jesus and all that, and then he's in prison later, and he sends a disciple to Jesus and says, Hey, tell us, are you the one to come, or, or should we look for another? And John had been prophesying about him this whole time. John had been preparing the way for him the whole time. But several years into Jesus' ministry, John was going, Are you, are you the Messiah or not? Because you don't look like the Messiah that we were thinking was was coming in here. Here's the reason for that. Okay, the reason for that is when you read the Old Testament passages, it talks a lot about a king who is going to come and going to rule and going to set everything right. And that's what they were looking for. But people didn't understand that there were two comings. There's a first coming and there's a second coming. And Jesus made it clear in the first coming. He said, this coming is not about judgment. This coming is about mercy and grace and giving everyone the opportunity to repent. The second coming is about judgment. The second coming is about setting everything right. Where Jesus will reign for a thousand years during the millennium on this earth. That will happen. So when you read the Old Testament prophecy, you don't fully understand, especially without uh, the, the hindsight of history of Jesus coming, you don't really understand that he was talking about a first coming and a second coming. So these Jews are expecting something from Jesus. They are under oppression from the Roman government. They are believing this is the man. We don't know how. He's going to set us free. Our lives are going to change. Our lives are going to look different. We're sick and tired of these Romans. The great nation of Israel is going to be set up again. We're going to be able to serve our God and follow our own laws and rules. And this is the man who's going to bring that. Well, the moment they found out that he wasn't bringing that, these Hosanna, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, changed one week later to crucify him Crucify him, crucify him. And we don't really celebrate Palm Sunday here at One Life. Not that we don't celebrate, but it's just never been a, like it's a big part of some churches is that the week before Easter, you know, you celebrate Palm Sunday. I've got no problem with that. Do that all you want. However, it's kind of a bittersweet thing for me when I read this. Because I'm like, you know, these same people that are crying, Hosanna, 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 blessed is the name... They're the same one shouting crucify him one week later. And it, and it shows this point that I'm making this morning is they were all on board as long as you were in this box that I wanted you to be. And as long as you were going to do what I thought you were supposed to do, man, I'm all on team Jesus. But the moment I find out that it's not exactly what I thought, man, I'm out. I'm out of here. And I'm going to tell you this. If you've been a Christian... For more than, say, 10 years, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 years, especially as an adult, 10 years as an adult, you've had moments where you didn't understand what was going on in your life. And you had moments where things happened. 
You prayed prayers. You didn't get the result you were looking for. Some tragedy, bad things. You've had things happen in your life where you were faced with this choice. And you go, you know what? This Christianity thing's not all that it was cracked up to be. You know, God's not who I thought he was. Jesus is not who, he thought it, who I thought he was. The Bible's not. And you faced a choice to either go another way, slip away, fall away, or you faced a choice to go, you know what? I don't care because I was never serving you for those things in the first place. I'm serving you for who you are. I love you and serve you for who you are. And and my life has been a growing in revelation and understanding of who you really are. And there are times that who I thought you were gets challenged. And, and I've got to go back and reevaluate and I go, man, I thought this about God, but I, I'm seeing something in the Word or I'm experiencing this. And, and those are the times to cling to Him in, in commitment and loyalty and say, I was never serving you for what you could do for me. But that will have to be proven in your life. That'll have to be proven because it's easy to sit here and say that. Easy to sit here and say, well, I'm not serving God for what he can do for me. Yeah, but I see people leave him all the time when they don't get what they think they were supposed to get or it doesn't turn out just like they thought. But, you know, there are a lot of blessings and there are a lot of benefits for following God and for following Christ, no doubt about it. I mean, David recounted them in his Psalms. Blessed, you know, all the, let's think about the benefits of the Lord and all the things that he does for us. That's good. But they have to be in their proper place, and we have to serve God for who he is and not for what he can do for us. And that will be challenged in your life sometimes. And I would even say that will be revealed sometimes in your life. You know, I love the, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel because I see this attitude in them where they were about to be thrown in the fiery furnace by King Nebuchadnezzar, and they were about to be burned alive. And they have a belief uh, in their, you could call it theology, but just their, their belief about who God is. They have a belief that he is a protector, that he is a deliverer, that he can save to the uttermost. And we get Psalms like Psalm 91, you know, which was, of course, written after Daniel. But the same, the, the, he had this same mentality, a thousand will fall at my side, ten thousand at my right hand. The angels will pick me up in their hands and, and deliver me. But yet their attitude before King Nebuchadnezzar was, King Nebuchadnezzar, you can put all these threats out and, and threaten us to, to throw us in the fire. But listen, we're not bowing down to you because our God will deliver us. But if he does not deliver us, we're still not bowing down. And see, that was their mentality of we are loyal servants of God, whether he delivers us or whether he doesn't. Now, my belief about him is that he will deliver but if he doesn't, I'm still serving him. I'm still following him. I'm still clinging to him. And I see Christians all the time that get disappointed. And what is disappointment? Disappointment is an, expect an expectation that you had. Doesn't mean it was a right expectation. But it was an expectation you had that wasn't met. And now you're disappointed. But I'm going to tell you. If, if you're going to serve God for decade after decade after decade, you're going to have to decide right now. That I'm with you through everything. I'm with you when prayers are answered, when everything's making sense, when you come through, or when I perceive that you didn't come through and prayers didn't get answered, or I'm dealing with sickness and pain and difficulty and I can't explain it, or money problems or kid problems, and I feel like I did everything right and I'm still having issues yet. Yeah, is that when you abandon God or is that when you cling to Him and say, I'm with you to the end no matter what?
And I know you think, well, man, this doesn't feel like a Christmas sermon. Well, yeah, but Christmas stirs this up in me because you got so many people that are celebrating Christmas, but they're not really with him. They're not really with him to the end. They just like the warm, fuzzy feelings and the songs and the bells and the lights and all that, which I love all of that too. But Christmas is more than that. Amen? Amen. So the crowd, they took branches. They laid them down. They're crying, Hosanna. One week later, they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Let me tell you something about human nature. And you're, you're about to see this in Jesus' explanation. Because Jesus is not actually even mad at them about this. this. This shows you how loving and kind that he is. In just a minute, he's going to have an interaction. We're going to read in John chapter 6. He's going to have an interaction with people that think like this. And he's not mad at them. Out of his love, he's trying to explain to them that you don't actually understand what you want. You don't actually understand what you need. You're, you're wanting this from God, but this is what you really need from God. And I need you to trust me and believe that I have your best interest in mind. It, it reminds me if you've ever had an exhausted two-year-old that they're so exhausted, they're so tired, and they're all control and behavior, you know, has just gone out the window. And they're crying. They don't know why they're crying. They're sad. They're mad. All at the same time, there might even be some laughing in there, and they're crying. They're just, they're out of their mind because they're exhausted, and they, they think they want this, and so you give it to them. And they play with it for five seconds, and they throw it down, and then they want this. And then you give them that, and they, they think that's what they want. They're so confused, and they're so exhausted, they're so, they don't even know what they want. And the truth is, it doesn't matter what you give them, they're still going to react badly because that, they're confused. They don't even know what they want, and the, the reality is what they need is a nap. They just need to go lay down. And so, but they can't see that. And the parent can see it. The parent is, is trying to reason and say, baby, why don't you just go lay? No, I want that. And they're fighting you all over. It's like, you just need a nap. And it's that, that's what this passage reminds me of in John chapter 6. Or the crowds are, well, we want miracles. Or we, we want this. Or we want to see the God that does this. And Jesus is going, that's, that's not what you need. That's not going to help you. That's not going to do anything for you. You're still going to be empty at the end of that. So he's trying to explain to them what they really need. So this is John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had, uh, you know, he's doing ministry with the disciples and went to the other uh, side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him. Why? you got to pay attention to the motive. A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. I'm not even saying that's a bad reason for following him. I mean, if, you, if, people are, if he's healing the sick and, and raising the dead and doing these things, I can see why. But notice, that was their motivation. Well, if that's your motivation, then what happens when the signs dry up? What happens when the miracles Dry up. Well, they leave him. They abandon him. And let's not judge them. Let's look at our own. Let's look at our own selves. Okay, verse 14. So what happens in between verse uh, 1 and 14 is that Jesus feeds the 5,000. And this is where you see the heart and the love of God. 
He knows why they're following him. He knows why they're there. But yet he looks out on the crowd. He has compassion. He takes the loaves and the fishes. He breaks them apart. And he feeds them with, he feeds 5,000 people with this miracle. All right, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So they're, they're, this, when they saw this sign, they said, this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been looking for. But now remember what their idea of the Messiah is. Now, Jesus and the disciples, they get in a boat, and they leave the crowd on one side of the lake, and they go to the other side. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, he gets right to the heart of the matter. He said, see, the, the signs and the miracles were to show you that I was the divine son of God. But that's not why you're here. You're not here because you believe I'm the son of God. And this shows how the fickleness of human nature. He says, you're here because I fed you lunch yesterday. And he, he hits it right on the head. He says... Look, you're not seeking me because you saw the signs and that led you to belief in me as the Son of God, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're looking for more food. You're looking for more lunch. Verse 27, this is where you see that fatherly, loving nature come in and try to, try to help them. He's not coming down hard on them. He's coming at them with love. He's saying... That's not going to do anything for you. I could, feed you. I could feed you with bread every day. That's not going to solve your spiritual condition. That's not going to solve the, the pain, the difficulty, the, the depression, the emptiness that you feel. So verse 27, he says, look, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. This is what you really need, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, well, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent, or in, whom he, in him whom he has sent. They said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may, say, that we may see and believe in you? Now, isn't this a funny question? Because the whole reason they're there is because he did the sign of the feeding the 5,000 just a few days before. They've already seen a sign. And I've said this. You've heard, if you've been coming to our church, you've heard me say this so many times. People often say, well, if I could just see a miracle or if I could just see God, if God would just show himself, then I would, I would believe in him. Well, they didn't. I mean, they were fed yesterday 5,000 people with a, a few loaves and fishes. And it, was so, it impacted them so much that they're following him around, chasing him around this lake. And yet... There they are again. They go, well, you want us to believe in you? Okay, then what sign do you show us so that we can believe? They don't need another sign to believe. They've already seen the sign. And if you back it up, they were even there following him before the feeding of the 5,000. They were there because it said of the miracles he was doing among the sick. So they'd been seeing him do miracles among the sick. Then they saw him feed the 5,000. Now they're here again saying, well, well, what sign do you show us so that we can 
believe. Look, let me just tell you, if you're one of those people saying, well, I want to believe in God, but I need a little more evidence, you'll never have enough evidence. You'll, you'll never have enough evidence. And that's not the reason why people don't believe. It's not because they need more evidence. It's because of the sin that's in their heart, but that's another sermon. So they said, what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? And then they, they this is kind of manipulative. Like, this is like a backdoor way to get more food. Because they say, okay, well, we want to believe, you know, what sign will you do? Like, for example, our fathers were fed with manna in the wilderness. So they're trying to get him, like, maybe you could do that. Maybe you could present, you know, a little more manna to us. So verse 31, he says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So now they're using the word of God saying, Look, God gave the Israelites manna. Why can't you give us some manna? Must have been some good bread and fish they gave them a few days before. They're pretty uh, serious about it. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It's almost like he's talking to a toddler. He's trying to get them to understand. Guys, listen. It wasn't Moses who gave you the bread. Moses couldn't have done that. It was my father. He said, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. But really, they're still thinking about manna. Verse 35, Jesus said, listen, to listen. I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he's trying to give them revelation. You're looking for bread. And, and look, let's apply this to our life, because I know we're not like in such a situation that we're just so desperate for food. But bread is could symbolize just nourishment, fulfillment in life. Okay, what, and we try to fill that with so many other, other things. And what Jesus would do is come and he would say, look, I am the bread. You're trying to fill it with relationships. You're trying to fill it with money. You're trying to fill it with entertainment. You're trying to fill it with vacations. You're trying to fill it with all of these things. None of them bad by themselves, but they will always leave you feeling empty. It doesn't matter how much you get. It doesn't matter how much you collect. It doesn't matter what you accomplish. At the end of it, it'll feel good for a moment, and then you'll always be left feeling empty. Why? Because it's not the true bread of life. There's only one bread of life. And Jesus said, I am the bread. And that's all he's trying to communicate to him. He's saying, guys, I can give you another meal. I mean, I, I can feed you. I can do another miracle. You're going to be left feeling the exact same way. It doesn't matter how many miracles I do. You're going to find yourself back in this exact same situation, wanting more, wanting more, not enough. Why? Because it's a black hole that will never be filled, and it can only be filled by the true bread of life. So Jesus said, guys, I am the bread of life. Do you understand? What, in other words, what you're looking for in this life, everything you're fighting for, sweating for, sacrificing for, not going to church for, giving up on your family for, all of these things that we do and sacrifice to try to get the bread of life. He says, I am the bread. And if you actually come to me as the bread of life, you will be filled and you will never hunger again. You'll never hunger again because you'll find true satisfaction and true fulfillment 
in me. Look, even as a Christian who's experienced the true bread of life, you can still start going after other things trying to fill that again. And, you, and you've probably found yourself there, and we have to realign. And we go, you know, this stuff doesn't matter. None of, that's not going to make me happy. I learned that very early on in the ministry. You know, we'd be having a hard time. You know, you're feeling stressed about something. Like, oh, man, we just need a vacation. You know, let's just take some time off. Let's take a week off. Let's take a few days off. And I found out real early, vacation doesn't do anything. I mean, you're at the end of it, and it's over, and it was fun while it was there, and you come, and it's just the same thing. And so I love vacations, but if you're depending on them to do something that they can't do, that they can't provide, you're going to be empty at the end of it. And that's anything in life. So that's why Jesus was saying, listen, I am the bread. I'm the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, we know he's not talking about physical hunger and thirst, so then what kind of hunger and thirst is he talking about? He's talking about that emptiness that we all can feel in our soul, at the core of who we are. Why am I not happy? Why, why can I not be happy? No matter how much I get, how much I obtain, what I accomplish, it seemed like if I have these things in my life, they're like, if I could just get this, and then when I get it, I feel the same way. Why? Why? Because he's not talking about physical hunger and physical thirst. He's talking about the, the physical, he's talking about the hunger and thirst of your soul that can only be filled and quenched by the true bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So now their whole, their whole demeanor changes. They're like, this guy's not going to give us any manna. Now he's talking about spiritual bread. We didn't come here for spiritual bread. We wanted, it. We wanted some more of that, that, that manna and those loaves and fishes that you did. We wanted some more of that miracles, those miracles. And so now they're mad and they start, they start discounting him. Keep in mind, the miracles they've seen, he's healed the sick, he's fed the 5,000. They have seen this and witnessed this with all of their eyes. But now look at how the human reasoning comes in. Verse 42 they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph? He ain't nothing special. He's talking about he came down from heaven. He didn't come down from heaven. This is the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. He's nothing special. He's not divine. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? We're not going to read the whole thing because this is a long chapter. He continues again, even after that, explaining to them how he is the bread of life. Look at verse 66. After this... Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Isn't that sad? One of the saddest verses of the New Testament. You got Jesus trying to explain to them, I have everything you need and everything you want. Quit fighting me on this. They remind me of that sleepy toddler. Quit fighting me. I have everything that you need and won't. And they got so aggravated because they thought they knew so much better. And they were, they were not listening to what he was saying. So after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. It's not talking about the twelve. But he had other disciples beside the twelve. He's talking about those that had been following him for a while. Not just the crowd. Now, these are people that have been following him for a while. After this, many of his disciples turned back. This happens today. This happens to Christians. Same thing happens today. People follow God for a while. They're disciple for a while. And then something happens. 
something goes different than they thought. Maybe there's a lot of reasons it can happen, but many people arrive at this point where they were a disciple and then they turn back and they no longer walk or follow, follow God. And this is what I'm telling you. As a Christian, you will face this opportunity many times. Many times. Because this is the life we live in. You will face this, this moment where you have to decide, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm confused, maybe I'm disappointed, maybe I'm hurt, maybe, maybe I'm mad, maybe I'm angry, but I will never turn away from following you. And I, and I found in my life that those times where I thought I was angry or I thought I was disappointed, because I stuck with God, I only found out later that the problem was on my end, not on his end. But if I had turned back, I would have never found that out. We have to understand the human condition and human nature to, first of all, build a perception of God that doesn't necessarily match the reality of who God is. And this is really what they're encountering here. They're encountering my belief about who I think you are and who I think you should be. And then when I encounter the reality of who you are, I'm disappointed. That's not really what I wanted. That's not really what I signed up for. This is why I think statements are so dangerous in, in churches and among Christians that actually aren't biblical. You know, I hear people say things about God that aren't, that aren't biblical. You know, people, they'll say things like, oh, well, my God would never do that. And I'm like, I can think of a place in the Old Testament where he pretty much did exactly that. <laughs> oh, my God would never do that. Yeah, the God you've created up here. The, 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 God, the, per, the perception of what you want your God to be like. And, and people who are in sin and they're living a certain way and, and they don't want their lifestyle to be condemned, they'll make that statement. Well, well, the God that I serve loves everybody and accepts everybody. Well, you're not serving the God of the Bible. You're serving a made-up God in your mind. And, and if you really confronted who the real God of the Bible is, you would reject him because he's not like you think he should be. And he condemns things that you accept. And he rejects things that you accept. He calls things evil that you call good. And so when those two things collide, you go, well, I don't, I don't want anything to do with that God. So then we create these false images and perceptions of who God, that's a big problem in our world right now. And it's the same thing that was going on right here. They wanted Jesus to be a certain way, and when he wasn't that way, they abandoned him, and they, they left him. So this is where I see our world, our nation right now, and my point in talking about it is to make sure that it doesn't creep into the church world. Okay, we're not serving a God that we completely understand because our mind is not on the same level as the Bible says that. That his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And there's going to be times in our life that all we have is trust and faith. And that from a logical standpoint, I may not understand what's happening or why it's happening this way. But it doesn't matter because I'm so devoted to you and so loyal to you and so committed to you that whether I understand or whether I don't, I'm serving God my whole, my whole life. And I'm never going to leave you. I think the quicker a Christian arrives at that place, the better. So the issue for them and for many today is that they, they love the effects 
and the residual benefits of following Christ, but they did not love Christ himself. You know, this happened, this happened in the Old Testament too, where if you remember, they were in the wilderness and they're on their way to the promised land and there just kept being this constant frustration and temptation. They kept rejecting God, rejecting his law. And there comes this point where God speaks to Moses and he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just send you guys into the promised land without me. Because he said, this isn't working. If, if I go, I'm going to end up destroying these people because they just keep provoking me. They keep bro- breaking the law, and I can't, I can't not judge their sin. So he's like, why don't you just go into the promise? In other words, I'm going to give you all the benefits, but you're not going to have my presence. And I think there's a lot of people that would take that deal. I know there is in our nation. As a matter of fact, we, many have taken that deal. Many, many want all the blessings that have come on this nation from actually being a Christian nation in the beginning. We're the wealthiest nation in the world. We're, we're the number one superpower. We're the number one spreader of the gospel around the world. This, this nation has been blessed coming in and blessed going out. Not saying there's not problems, but, it's, but compared to other nations of the world, this nation has been very blessed. But for decades, we've been pushing God out. And it reminds me of this story where God said, just, you know what? If y'all just want to go on with the blessings and not have me, go ahead. And, and our nation is going more and more that way. Again, my focus is not really for the nation, but for the church. Because even in the church, that can become the approach is... Oh man, let's let's have the singing, let's have the song, let's have the ministries, let's let's have every, you know all the good, the social part of church and the connection, and we all know each other, and and we're raising our kids together, and it's just like a big business network almost, and and can be not this church, but churches can become that way, and it's like where's the presence of God? And I don't know that anyone even cares. You know, sometimes you you might walk into a church and you go, man, this, where's the presence of God? Like it seems like we're all gathering and we're all meeting and we're at this party, but it's like, where's the, where's the one who the party's for? And all I'm saying is that in your life and in your family and in your personal life, you've got to not be content with just having the blessings, but not having the person and the presence of God. And some, someone asked the question one time, you know, if the Holy Spirit just disappeared from your church, how long would it even take for most people to notice? How many weeks, how many months could we go on and just gather and sing and talk and do it? We didn't even notice the presence of God wasn't here. We don't want that to be us, right? That's what we're fighting for. We're saying, God, we want you no matter what. We're not after, you know, we could talk about it from a church standpoint, from a family standpoint, from a church standpoint. We're not after, you know, more, more buildings and more people and, and grow. If we don't have the presence of God, he's the center of attention. And I'd rather have God and 20 people than 10,000 people, but the Holy Spirit is nowhere to be found. So God gave that, uh, that opportunity to the children of Israel. Thank God that Moses spoke up and said, we're not doing that, God. Now, Moses' motives not have been, may not have been completely pure because he didn't want to be left alone with all them Israelites either. You know, he said, you're not leaving me in this, God. But he said, look, if your presence doesn't go, he said, we're not going. 
And you think about what he was really saying, because what he was really saying is we would rather stay in this wilderness, this desert, this disgusting, difficult place, but we have the presence of God, than go on to the promised land with milk and honey and all the wonderful things, but we don't have the presence of God. And I think what saddens my heart today is that many have been faced with that choice, and many have chosen, and they've made their choice. Many have chosen to go on. And, and again, I'm concerned about our nation because I feel like our nation is making that choice to just go on ahead without God and make no mistake about it. We're going to reap the consequences of that eventually. Not like a doomsday up here, you know, that this is coming. But you cannot reject God and His Word and the person of Jesus Christ decade after decade after decade and there be no results. As a matter of fact, everything crazy you're seeing in our nation right now, like just on a, on a social and moral level, you know, you, you scratch your head and go, how could you believe that? How could you think that? How could you be confused on that? It's just a direct result of humans left to themselves. Humans left to themselves without God. That's our nation. But for the church, keep in mind, the same thing can happen. Same thing can happen where... Even though we profess Christ, he's not the sinner. And so what I wanted to bring this up for today is because even in Christmas, I can see that happening. You can certainly see the, the danger of that when, when we celebrate Christmas and how we celebrate Christmas. It doesn't need to be an afterthought, you know, Jesus and the story of Jesus. It needs to be front in center. It needs to be on our minds. It needs to be something that we're talking about with our kids. And, and all the things, you know, you could, you could talk about things with Santa and Elf on the Shelf and all the things we do. You know, I, I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to say this. There are a lot of distractions. A lot of distractions that are out there. And they really just have one purpose. It's to distract off of the main purpose and the main thing. And it's our job to bring our kids and ourselves back around to go, hey, this is the main reason, this is the main thing. And if there were no gifts and there were no lights and there were no turkey and all of that, we would still be celebrating this. We, we would still be making this front and center of our lives because this is, we are celebrating the greatest thing that ever happened. 